Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Chad Foster. Chad, how are you doing? Doing great, Josh. How about yourself? How are you doing today? I'm doing great. And sorry to the listeners that they didn't get to hear the last half hour of our talking because we just started talking about the environment and capabilities and things like that and the polarization of the country and, and victimhood and taking responsibility and things like that. And I have a feeling we're going to get right back into it. Yeah. I want to make sure we cover how your commitment went and what, you know, what it was. And also to talk about, you know, last time you talked a lot about stories and what stories do we tell each other? Do we tell ourselves? What stories do we live? Yeah. And, you know, even though I just talked about what we talked about, and I want to get back into that, I'm going to take the liberty of going into how your commitment went, because I want to hear if your story changed or if it stayed the same with respect to the environment. Do you mind if we, if we start with, with um, you and what you did since last time? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I asked you what the environment meant to you and then invited you to come up with something to do to act on those feelings. Do you remember what motivated you at first? Well, the motivation for me at first is, has been making sure that the planet is inhabitable for my kids and, and their kids. Yeah, the, the trajectory we're on, you know, doesn't appear like we're on the best trajectory. I, I guess you saw the most recent UN report that came out this week as well. So it's really making sure that I'm doing my part to make sure that it's a little bit better than we received it, which I don't think right now many of us can say that, right? I think it's uh, we've certainly done our share of damage, but it, it's it's to try and put a small dent in it, right? That's the idea and try and leave it just a little bit better. Well, I'm trying to think there was a bit before that of there's a cleanliness or a, pass, a, a calmness that you felt in nature, if I remember right. Yeah, that's true. Certainly true. I, I mean, it's, it's uh, one of those things we, we, I like to go to the beach. I'm, I'm a bit of an outdoor person too. So whether it's at the beach or skiing or whatever, I really enjoy taking advantage of the outdoors and being outside. I'm just, I'm the kind of person who likes to be out in nature and a lot of that now. I mean, again, how sustainable is what we're doing to having those, those things, whether it's being on the beach where we know that oceans are are imminently rising and we need to do something about it. Yeah. The reason I distinguish is that most people, when they, outside of this podcast, the general motivation for people is I have to fix the world Mm -hmm. and, oh, it's this terrible thing, but we, I have to do something, which is to me is an extrinsic motivation. It's not, and I try to connect people with the inner intrinsic feelings that were there before. Like, even if the world weren't falling apart, there are things about nature that are so far everyone has responded with something positive, something. Yeah. And I try to get people to act on that intrinsic motivation yeah. because then I think they feel like they get to do it rather than they have to do it. And I, that's the, one of the major shifts that I'm trying to do mm-hmm. with this podcast. And I'm thinking that with you, yours was less connected to that part because I think I didn't enough when you talked about the feelings of that you get in nature, I didn't ask you to explore it enough to really connect with that. But in any case, so then what did you do to commit to, to act on that? Well, we've, I think we've done a pretty decent job of changing some of our behaviors. We didn't make as much progress, I think, as I'd hoped we would make, if I'm being completely transparent. I think um, some of the things that we've done, just modifying some of our behaviors, we stopped using as many disposable things as possible. So whether it's you know, Ziploc bags or saran wrap for covering foods or having plastic bags when we're going to shop for groceries, just eliminating some of those those things, you know, and using reusable containers and you know, trying to get rid of anything that is sort of one use only and 
trying to find groceries that that aren't that don't come in as much packaging. And then the other thing that that my wife has done, I'm not the best person at this, not being able to see, but when we're at our, we have a place, the beach, when we go there, you know, anytime we're on a walk, she'll, she'll take a bag and, you know, pick, pick trash up um, anytime she sees it to try and make it a little bit better place, which just frankly boggles my mind that people would be at a beautiful beach and decide to just leave their garbage behind. I still can't hardly fathom that, but you know, little things like that to try and try and get to do a little part. But I think one thing that I probably need need to do a better job with is enrolling everyone in my family because it's not just me. It's you know me and I have two children and my wife. And so getting everyone enrolled into it, I think could help and trying to create some sort of game out of it, I think could help too. Those are just ideas that I thought of that I haven't maximized. I think the, the amount of impact that we could have, those are ideas that I've got to, to try and stretch it a little bit more than, than what we've been able to do over the last several months. I think the games and attracting others to do it too almost comes naturally if we do it for our own intrinsic motivation. If we're doing it because like, oh, someone told me I can't have straws, so I'm going for a week without straws, but I don't think it's going to make a difference. That generally won't get people to follow. And even if it's coming like, oh, I saw this this turtle with the straw being pulled out of its nose and it's bleeding, it was horrible, and I can't, I don't want that to happen. That's a bit more intrinsic. When it comes from... When I was a kid, I used to play in the park at the end of the block and it was so amazing. And then they paved it over. And now where a kid growing up there, they don't have any green. And when it comes from that, I may be off here, but I think then people don't lecture, they share. They don't tell people, they invite. Right. And that's what I try to do. I don't see that much in the environmental movement of of, uh, you're actually going to like life more after you start acting in stewardship than before, not because some hippy-dippy whatever, but because mm-hmm. vegetables taste better than Doritos if you allow your taste buds to recover. Yeah, that's a good point. I think there's, there's something definitely to that. I know we talk about, you know, in the, in the context of leadership, I know when studying at, at Harvard with Bill George, and he teaches authentic leadership. One of the things he talks about, and it actually put me on the purpose driven journey that I'm on right now, but it it talks about what happened in your journey, your life that affected you in an emotional way. And it could have been positive trauma, negative trauma, but essentially it's those, it's the connective tissue to moments in your life that you think about from your childhood and early adulthood and so on and so forth and linking that to your profession. And a lot of that has to do with exactly what you're talking about, finding finding moments and experiences that that connect with us at a visceral level, and then linking that to what we're doing professionally. I, I think you know he, what he's talking about is, is having finding your true north. It's the name of his book, Discover Your True North, and, and tying these moments and these experiences that affect us emotionally, tying those to our profession. I think what you're saying is very similar in that it's it's finding experiences that are you know in out in nature that that have affected us in a in an emotional way and then using that as the motivation to drive our our different behaviors in the future so that we can preserve the things that meant so much to us. Yeah, I'm not trying to get people to do things that they don't want to do. And I'm not even trying to find some magical experience in the sense of like I don't have to guess does someone have a great experience in nature? It might've been swimming on the beach. It might've been 
a pastime of just swimming on the beach with no particular instance that was like, like the dolphins appeared or they don't have to hike among the redwoods. Just everyone's got their experiences when they're in nature and it's just fantastic and they lose themselves. And, you know, it's gonna be different for everyone. Everyone listening Mm -hmm. here has their experience. And so I don't have to like, does this person have a true north with regard to the environment? Yes, everyone does. It's not like a difficult thing to find. And so, but we're not really connected with it. We're, there's this big disconnect that you were talking about before we, we hit record that we're not so in touch with the world. And I think the more we're in touch with the world, the more it becomes easy that, well, it becomes harder to drop plastic on the ground. It becomes harder to buy plastic wrapped stuff in the first place. And it becomes, for me, one time I was invited, this is last summer, someone, they invited me to the beach. And I didn't feel like going, I didn't go. And I ended up going to the park instead and picking up litter. And I felt better about that. I would rather, I'd rather live in a world without the pollution. But if the pollution's there, I'd rather clean it yeah. than get away from it. It's interesting that you said that you brought it back to what we were saying earlier before we started recording about, and this is my point with communication and everything, but I think, it, I think you're right. I think it applies here too. It's the layers of abstraction between us and the things around us. And as I was saying earlier, I think you know, the, the, we're so divided right now in our society because we've got these layers of abstraction between people. And so on social media, you've got people who are maybe having, uh, you know, contentious conversations with somebody else. And it's easier to be a keyboard cowboy when the person's not right next to them. And they're, you know, instead of trying to have empathy and meeting them where they are, because the person's not next to them, they feel like they can be a little more combative than they otherwise would be. And a lot of that I think has been driven by, the social media echo chambers that we have. And so social media, everybody knows probably that they're serving up content based on what they think you agree with, because if you agree with it, then you're going to read it for longer and they're going to make more advertising dollars because it's based on ads that they serve up. And so everybody starts seeing ads and content that they believe with. And when they encounter somebody who believes the opposite most folks are just shocked that someone could believe something that according to what they've been reading is is clearly wrong right because they've been they've been served the opposite content and so when these two groups get together those layers of abstraction with technology makes it harder to empathize and i think this this all kind of started in my opinion with news you know when we as subscribers stopped paying for news whether it was with the classifieds. At one point, we used to pay for classifieds, and then Craigslist came out, and so there was less reporting that's being funded by by classifieds. So what ended up happening is newspapers went online to an advertising model, and things get a little more sensationalized because they have to they have to get clicks so that they can earn advertising dollars, and that obviously was a precursor to what happened in social media and using the advertising model for content being served. But I think. What it's done is it's sensationalized the content so that it, it can have more clicks. But then, you know, importantly, it's, it's also created these layers of abstraction and communication where more communication is done online. And yeah, it could be that. It could also be the people who are making decisions on behalf of a company based on spreadsheets instead of human beings sitting in front of them. And in, in your example, could be the virtual experiences that people are having nowadays and the abstraction between that and the physical experiences that people I think did more of. And it's funny, I have two children. I mentioned earlier, my daughter's 12 and 
we put screen time limits on and, but they have just such a tendency to want to do things virtually. And I, I keep telling her, stop, you know, I, I turn the internet off at my house. I, I literally stop the internet and say, you need to go out and be in the physical world, not the virtual world. Because, you know, growing up, you know, we didn't have the internet growing up and we didn't really, I don't think we would have wanted it, right? We wanted to be outside. We're always playing ball or, you know, doing something, whether it was basketball or football or soccer, we were always outside doing something. And it seems like now, at least in my household, it's easier for people to want to trade the virtual experiences for the physical, which is which is mind blowing. But I, I do think those layers of abstraction with the technology, with, as I mentioned, with the communication, it just, it makes it harder for people to understand where other people are coming from or to really fully experience the feeling of of having that, and in your your example, right, those experiences in the in the physical world that, if we're not careful, aren't going to be available to us. I can't disagree with any of that. It's, I mean, it's like watching a train wreck, and you can't look away, but it's in yeah. really slow motion because it's happening over years and years. Exactly. And then you talk to people about not being on social media so much, and they they fight. I mean, to me, that scene in Train Spotting where the, the, the guy's trying to kick heroin and there's like the baby crawling on the ceiling and it's, uh, or the scene in train spotting where he reaches his, he dropped the, his hit into the, the worst to- the most disgusting toilet in Scotland. And then he reaches in, but in his mind, he's in like this heaven, but mm. even though he's like, it's the most disgusting thing, but it feels wow. right to him. I feel like that's our world and we're making our world into more and more disgusting, but we get these little hits of, as you, you describe, I, to me, it's like little checkmates. Everyone's trying to checkmate each other in, in however many characters you're allowed. <laughs> and the opposite would be empathy, curiosity, as you put it, and taking responsibility. Yeah, I think, too, what, what's going on, and I alluded to this a little bit, but just to make sure I footstomp the point, when everybody's being served content that they vehemently agree with, and that's all they see, that's all they read, and they encounter somebody who believes the opposite, a lot of times there's a feeling of indignation, like, my God, how can this person believe this? Clearly, based on everything I've read, this is nowhere close to the truth. And so there's almost a sense of, of arrogance or self-righteousness that has crept into the dialogue as opposed to having genuine curiosity and empathy to try and understand why that other person believes what they believe. Now, I I've had a bit of a unique experience in my life because I was born as a privileged majority, right? Born as a sort of a normal, in quotes, I guess, white guy. And then I went blind and became a disabled minority group. And so I've lived over 20 years of my life in two very different groups. So I see, I've seen life from two very distinct vantage points. And before I went blind, I probably thought I could, I could imagine at least what it's like to be blind and, until I went blind. And then I realized, you know what, I actually had no clue. And that's when it occurred to me that we may think we're, we know where someone else is coming from, but we, we honestly don't have a clue. And that's why it's so important, I think, to have that curiosity when we're talking to people. Because genetically, you know, people were 99.9% alike. So that that has to mean that the small differences among us are due to the collective experiences in our lives. So it's safe to assume that if we had the same experiences as other people, it's highly probable we would have the same beliefs as them. So if we can go into a conversation that says, you know what, I'm basically the same as this person genetically, they must have some different experiences. 
Maybe I can learn something from them based on their experiences. I wonder what it is that has brought them to their point of view. Hmm, let me see if I can figure that out. That just a little dash of curiosity can really make it a lot easier to meet people where they are as opposed to where we assume they should be. If you don't mind, I'm going to go back to exploring your your experience with nature. As sure. I'm going to see if I see if I spark curiosity or a new experience. Because you talked about, you said when we were kids growing up, we didn't have the internet and we wouldn't have wanted it. We were out playing and doing, what was yeah. that? Can you go into what, what it was like growing up without the internet? What do you remember of your experiences? I don't know if it's outdoors or doing real life stuff. What, what do you remember? Well, we went camping every year when I was a kid and that's, we would take at least a, you know two weeks to a month every summer and go camping. And, and so we would go to a place called Fall Creek Falls. This was in just outside of Crossville, Tennessee. We would go there, beautiful area to go camping. They had an amazing falls and, and we were, you know, we were kids. We were obviously extremely active. We would be playing volleyball and playing basketball and playing softball and riding bikes. And there were all kinds of different events to, you know, fishing and things to keep us busy and active and and beyond those vacations at my house a lot of it was outside playing sports so would in the summer it would every day all day we'd get up at i don't know seven eight o'clock and be outside on the basketball court by nine or ten in the morning and, and wouldn't even come inside until we were you know until the sun went down and we did that with just depending on the season it was always we were always on the go i just couldn't imagine today it's it kind of you know, we're all so sedentary, I think. And um, I'm forced to be a little more sedentary than than I would otherwise like, not being able to see, but I'm still active. I still work out. I still go skiing, as we talked about on the last podcast. But and of course, we have you know different different responsibilities. I have responsibilities as a as an as an employee to sit at a computer. But, you know, back then, I just couldn't imagine sitting there for that amount of time when there's so much outside to see and to explore, whether it's sports or whether it's, you know, hiking or rafting or just any of the things that, that I've loved doing over the course of my life. And it's like, you know, people today, kids, my, my kids included, you know, I want to take them so that they can experience those things, but I also want to somehow ignite the hunger. And that's a tricky thing. I haven't quite figured out how to how to do that other than expose them and just hope and wait and see. But certainly, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I've really appreciated and, and miss actually, you know, in a, in a great way, miss having some of those experiences that are no longer possible, but I've had, um, I've had a just phenomenal opportunity to have some of those experiences growing up and wish I could pass some of those along and, and create that fire inside of my kids. When you talked about the, place in Tennessee where you went, I take it that was your family together. You said, how, how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have one brother, no sisters. So it's just the two of you playing like, so when you're playing basketball, it's like one-on-one or maybe neighbors getting into it or? Well, it was neighbors. So we generally had at, at home in Knoxville, you know, we usually, we at least did two on two, sometimes three on three, four on four. We had a whole neighborhood. We would bring people in. And when we were on vacation at Fall Creek, you know, there would be people there, lots of people there who are also camping and things. So we would, you know, whether it was basketball or softball or volleyball, you know, those could be you know, 10 on 10, just depending on the, how, how big it was, but it was, it was usually more than just the two of us. What do you remember? I mean, you said you loved it and, and you remember 
what emotions did you feel when you're out there? Was it, I mean, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but what are some of the top ones? I think if, if anything, I would say, you know, pride and sense of accomplishment and just getting better, right? Trying to improve, whether it's at a sport, right? If, if it's at a sport, then it's trying to get better and competing and putting in effort and seeing your efforts come to some some good outcome, right? Whether it's it's winning or at least competing at a higher level. Being out in nature, I think it was a little bit different, you know, sports aside was probably a little bit more of that feeling of awe, you know, the feeling of awe of seeing a, a beautiful waterfall or a gorgeous sunset or you know, anything like that, where it just kind of makes you realize how amazing uh, the world we, we live in is and, and how easy it is to kind of overlook it and take it for granted when you know, we just don't stop and pause and we don't have the opportunity to see a gorgeous waterfall or sunset every day. Based on what you just said, I predict that if I walked you through the same invitation to think of something to do to act on those things this mm-hmm. time, I bet, you know, last time I asked you and you said, oh, could you give me some ideas to, to spark my, get me thinking? Mm-hmm. I think where you are now, think of those moments and contrasting that with what you see in your kids' lives and presumably in all their friends' lives who the idea of like, you'd want to bring your kid out to the, to the courts or the field, but if all the other parents are not bringing their kids because their kids are all sitting in front of the screens, then mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to work out. And right. the culture has shifted, not just one family. And I wonder if, would you also think that if you came up with something now that it might be a different feeling in doing it than last time? I think so. I think so. I mean, like you said, we mentioned this before. I can't remember if it was before we started recording or not. It's, you know, you, um, you just start wading into it, right. And, and figuring out how to reduce waste. It's one of those things. It seems, seems intimidating, right. But it's just, it's starting to chip away at it and it's starting to figure out, all right, what can I do to reduce my consumption? And, and so there, there, a lot of that learning I've done over the last several months and, I think you and I were talking about it in the context of air travel and trying to figure out how to how to reduce air travel. But I think it definitely applies here, too. It's just, you know, what is going to work for each person is going to be a little bit different based on their specific context. Now, you jumped from talking about playing sports outdoors to cleaning up waste. And maybe that jump was maybe that's connected in your heart or your mind. But I feel Mm -hmm. like you jumped away from. Let me go through the process of invite you at your option to think of the times that you were out playing sports with your brother, with your family, with the neighbors, Mm -hmm. uh, or walking outdoors and feeling that awe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And can you think of something you could do to act on those feelings today and to do something that you're not already doing? And it it might be cleaning things up, but it might not be. Because to me, I'm not sure if those were connected. For a lot of people in here act on the environment, they think, oh, what does the New York Times tell me I'm supposed to do? I'm not saying don't do that. Right. It may have been that you jumped, some, jumped somewhere that you're, you're ready to jump to, but or it might also be directly connected to playing outdoors. But it might not, I, think it might, I think you might have jumped away from okay. the intrinsic so stuff. So when, when you said it, when you said, is there something that you could think that you would, you would want to do? I mean, I'd assume that that's what you were referring to was the cleanup that I've done over the last several months, but it sounds like maybe it's more of, so what, what my instincts tell me is to try and, I mean, I'm trying to do this anyway, but I I think having this conversation makes it, it, it underscores it more, right. It shines a a light on it is creating that 
the feeling that I got with, um, with doing the things that I did growing up, creating that same feeling and connection with my kids and the environment and the things that I enjoyed doing growing up outdoors and just being connected to the physical world as opposed to the virtual world. Yeah, I'm, I may sound ignorant here because I'm not a parent, so I, I've never raised a kid. I just have nieces and nephews. But I feel I, I, my hunch is that if you try to get your kids to do something, then they're going to resist. Whereas if you do something yourself, mm-hmm. then they'll, they, it will be infectious. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I mean, you go skiing and things like that. So maybe, I, maybe there's a new thing that you could do that you weren't already doing. Mm-hmm. That would be like like you used to do back in the day. Yeah, I've started. I took my daughter skiing a couple of times, and my son is a, is a little young. Um, but I think what I'm hearing you say is maybe some. This is going to be a tough one on my part because getting my wife to go camping is going to be tough. She's not a camping <laughs> kind of girl. <laughs> That's going to be a tough sell. But but I could I could work on that. The kids would be all for it, right? The kids would be all over it. My my wife, she's not much of a camper, but. If I could close that one, right? If I could close that one, then um, that'd be a heck of a sales job. But but I, I do agree with you yeah, in in spirit and principle. If you know, if somehow I could get them to get the same to to experience the same things that I experienced. And some of this, you know, if I'm being completely candid, is like I would love to take my kids out and play a game of basketball with them, play a game of you know of baseball, frisbee, whatever. And I'm just not much of a good basketball player anymore after going blind. It's a, it's a tough one. I can ski because someone's guiding me down the mountain, but in some, in some ways, you know, my options are a little bit limited because I can't teach them the right way. You know, at least mechanically, I can, I can show them how to, how to shoot a jump shot without, you know, the ball actually going in the hoop. But um, in, in some ways, like whether it's that or me taking them camping on my own, that might be a little difficult for me to set up a tent in the middle of the, of the forest, but you know, there, there are options available. I just have to, like I said, get, if I can enroll my wife, I think that could open up some possibilities. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small, doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodick.com slash donate. When you start saying getting the wife involved, if I don't know that relationship, you do, I don't, but my first thought was, I wonder if what you could do without her. And so pitching a tent might be hard, but I know something I've been meaning to do and I've not done this is uh, I got a friend who every, I think once a month, he's, he makes sure to sleep outdoors. Hmm. And I've been meaning to go, but at, at least on the roof, my, I'm not going to sleep outdoors in New York city, but my building has a rooftop Yeah, and I'm friends with the doorman. You know, technically we're not supposed to be up there past, I think midnight in the winter or in the summer and 10 o'clock the rest of the year. But I'm meaning to go to the doorman and be like, Hey, do you mind if I just sleep up on the roof? So there's like really low barriers. Yeah. That's a pretty easy thing to do. It's like take a pillow upstairs. Well, and we've, I've actually even talked to my son about this. My son's five and he just got a new play set and it has this outlook, like this watchtower or whatever at the top of it. And I told him one day we could, we could do a camp. We could camp out and 
check it out. And he was up for it. So uh, I think that's a possibility for sure. My daughter, I, I'll have to work on that one. She's 12. She's too cool for that now, but <laughs> I, I could figure something out similar. <laughs> Do I read right? I mean, I'm certainly going to be projecting this. I'm inclined to see what I want to see, but am I reading that there's a different feel to this than with the, what you're talking about before with the fewer Ziploc bags? Yeah, I think there is. There is a different feel. I think um, this is going to sound, it's not exactly how I want it to sound, but it's, it's the best way I know to think about it. One is treating the symptom and the other one is treating the, the root cause, right? I think what you're, what you're getting at here is how do we get everyone enrolled in the root cause, which is the thing that is at the heart of, of everyone's love for wanting to preserve what's around us as opposed to going out and preserving what's around us. So it's getting everyone inspired by what all the, the things like we'd mentioned with the, the bags and things like that, what that is actually saving. And so I think it's at the root of it precedes the want to go out and do those activities because it's, it's getting the connective tissue between all of us and the things that we love about the physical world around us. And I think that when, I mean, I read the headlines for the IPCC report and it's like code red and yes, it's very important, but most people, I think they, I don't know what to do. I went without meat for a week and didn't seem to do much. So now it's worse than before, but I couldn't do anything before. I don't know what to do now. And the scientists aren't really doing anything different. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Maybe if you put it in a blinking red font, that would make a difference, but you know, just more scare doesn't connect. And you can say that a hundred million people in Bangladesh are going to be underwater, but if I've never been to Bangladesh, I think that if you, Chad, want to feel for Bangladesh, I think the fastest, most effective way to get there is through your memories of basketball and acting on that, like making that, that's what, if that's what's in your heart, leadership is you got to go where the person is, not where they want to be, not where you want them to be. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the other thing that would make it more helpful for people, I think people probably see the problem as so massive that they don't feel like whatever efforts they make are going to make a difference. I think what would be interesting to see, and, and maybe this is out there and I'm just, I, I just haven't seen it, but what would be interesting to see is some correlation between if you do X, if you reduce your, let's just say it's plastics as an example, or carbon emissions, carbon footprint, that might be easier. If you reduce your carbon footprint, you know, and, and let's even make it simpler than that. If you drive 20% less in your car every year, then that will result in, you know, the, the water, uh, whether it's sea levels rising by, you know, some amount, it will reduce it. Right. And it's, I think what we haven't seen is the correlation of how each individual, their efforts can, it's a small difference, but when you add it up across societies, across countries, it's going to have a huge impact. But it it seems so big that I think everybody looks at it and goes and just says, you know what, there's what, what I'm going to do is not going to make a difference. And so there's this collective sigh that says, what's the point, right? The problem's too big for just me. When I don't think, I haven't at least seen enough contextualization of what each individual's efforts can do. And if you, you know, you, if you add that up and say, all right, if just half the people in the United States can do X, 
then the outcome would be why, based on whether it's sea level rising or, or, or whatever, it's going to help us in some tangible way. I'm going to propose altering a slight thing that you were talking about big versus small. Mm-hmm. And I propose considering intrinsic versus extrinsic, meaning versus the way I think of it is leadership versus management. Mm-hmm. And if instead of saying, would this fit as well, or for me personally better, that it's not connect. It's not if they do this little thing, it all adds up. But if you, if they like doing it, then they're going to want to do it more. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying. That's the switch. That's one of the main, I mean, my mission as it's developed so far is I want to, I want to change American and, and global culture to where people expect that acting in stewardship right now, they believe that it will bring deprivation and sacrifice. It's a burden. It's a chore. And I want to change that to where it brings rewarding experiences. For me, the, the rewarding, the, the most, what I feel is joy, fun, freedom, connection, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. community, meaning, and purpose. Right. Now, maybe it'll be different for someone else. Maybe for them, it'll be instead of fun, it'll be adventurous, or it'll be, you know, instead of meaningful, it'll be purposeful, or I don't mm-hmm. know. You know, it's, everyone's going to get something, but it's not just fewer straws. Yes, if a billion people have fewer straws, it's billions of fewer straws. Yes, yes. And I'm not going to say don't push for the management techniques. Mm-hmm. But if people come up on their own to say, I cannot do straws anymore. I don't want to never give me a straw, like not because I have to, but because no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. The way I feel about flying, the way I feel about getting packaged food. I was, I was out a while ago and someone like hands me a bottle of water. My reaction was as if, as if someone had like handed me, I don't know, uh, a pile of, of poop. <laughs> I'm like, what? Actually, the po- I would prefer poop because poop will decompose. Right. And the plastic will be around for centuries, maybe millennia. And so anyway, so you can hear in me, I'm not like, oh, what do I have to do? I'm like, what do I get to do? And yeah. that's the shift that I'm trying to engender. I, I, I wonder if that was also what you're talking about. No, it really wasn't what I was talking about. But I, I don't think what we're saying are mutually exclusive either. I think what's What's missing from my point of view is is the context of the impact I can have. If we talk about, you know, I talked about in in my family trying to gamify things and trying to make it fun. That's sort of intrinsic. It's not exactly what you're talking about. It's sort of intrinsic. But I I do think people, it it would help to have some context of the impact that individuals can have, whether they're motivated intrinsically or extrinsically almost like a dashboard of sorts, some, some way to track, you know what, um, whether it's my own personal best of, you know, I, I know you track, I've seen a lot of the metrics you track, you know, how much waste you go through and, and um, you, know, you hold yourself accountable through those. And I'm sure it's motivating for you to try and, and beat some of those. But, and, and I think it'd be good for others to do that, but then see how that also translates into you know, preserving the things that they love, whether it's, you know, being outdoors, playing basketball games, enjoying the beach without water levels coming up any more than what they already are. Yeah, I see what you mean. Community and uh, like, there's a big part of competition of, of like finding out your potential and reaching it. Mm-hmm. It was also winning the game. Yeah. There's a reason we keep scoring. That's right. It's fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now I'm thinking, you know, as, as I have a team and we're redesigning a site or creating a new site mm-hmm. so that the this sustainable life will be separate from Joshua Spodek. Mm-hmm or connected, but there'll be, and and we want to create an online community where people can go on and share what they've done and ask, you know, if someone's getting into gardening for the first time that they can talk to people about gardening. Mm -hmm. And if people are doing it for sports, they can talk to people about sports and and how do you play Frisbee without a piece piece of plastic, if that's possible. I don't know. I I just made up that question. 
Makes sense. So now I'm thinking, now I'm being very opportunistic and thinking, oh, you work at Red Hat. I wonder if there's, because I'm also thinking, like, I, do not, I don't want to do it through Facebook. I don't want to do it through a social media site where they make the groups easy, but they trap you in. They're not doing it as a favor to us. They're doing it as a favor to their customers for the advertisers. Yeah. Or the product. That's right. But Red Hat's, Red Hat's based on free software. Yeah, that's one thing that Red Hat has a tremendous amount of experience with, and that is establishing communities, right? That's how establishing and, and collaborating with communities, it's how we create software. It's working with the upstream communities so that software can be co-created freely in the open source communities and making sure that people are working towards a, a common goal. Obviously, we make money by making sure it's stable enough for enterprise use, but a lot of the innovation and creation takes place freely in these open source communities that we help co-sponsor. I wonder if there's room to collaborate in some way to form community with open source software or free software. Well, Hmm. am I waxing too, am I getting too into it while recording on? We can click down on it a level. I think we'll have to think a little bit about what that would look like, but I I don't think uh, it's going to hurt anything to explore that and see. I, I can certainly work with folks in the, you know, inside the company to see once we figure out exactly what it is that we're trying to accomplish and what that might look like. Okay. Listeners, you're hearing it happen in real time. <laughs> like years from now, maybe there'll be this big community with like hundreds of thousands of posts a day of people sharing and learning and discovering and figuring out. Someone like you might be saying, I used to play so much sports when I was outdoors when I was a kid and I want to do that more. Mm-hmm. My kids aren't getting into it. And they could find a post of yours and, and contact you and say, Chad, what'd you do? How'd it work? And you'd say, ah, oh, so glad you asked because it was great. Yeah. I'm not aware of a community like that. You know, there's the financial independent retiring early community, FIRE, that mm-hmm. sometimes they call themselves mm-hmm. in the frugal living. They often do that. And the simple, the Marie Kondo types, they often get together and be like, how can I get rid of this? How can I get rid of that? Mm-hmm. So simplifying things, living frugally, it's, it's a lot of like bucking the mainstream trend of consume. Yeah. You know, craving advertisers creating cravings so that we want something that uh, once we get it, it's designed so that we, it leads us to crave something else. Got to catch them all. Yeah. So I suspect that this is an area where a community could form and I don't see, I don't see it out there. Yeah, I haven't either. I haven't either. So there's definitely some possibilities there. And I feel like there's tools out there that we're looking at, but I don't know, you guys are probably much better at knowing what tools are out there for creating community uh, online so that people can share all around the world. Yeah, I would have to talk to somebody. I don't know what those tools are off the top of my head, but we have teams of people, people I know inside the company who would be able to provide that off the top of their head or at least put us in touch with somebody who would know. Well, let's get back to your camping, if I'm not jumping too far back. Okay. Do you think you'd be up for doing a second commitment, this one being around camping and sharing how that went? Sure. Yeah, I could do that. This has a nice challenge of, of how does the wife, you have to, I'm not married. I don't, that's your, uh, <laughs> I'll just hear how it went afterwards. I've, I've been married. We're celebrating 19 years in a couple of weeks. All right. So I'm, I'm doing something right so far. We'll see if camping, um, if I can, if I can close that now, I'm not going to do, I, I can't do camping on the 19th anniversary. <laughs> that might be something afterwards, a little tongue in cheek there that, uh, that would not Actually, go well, but, but. <laughs> you reminded me of a friend of mine back in grad school and his honeymoon, he went camping with his, well, I remember him planning it. So it was his fiance, but then with his wife. Yeah. And I know for a lot of people camping is like, you're not taking a shower every day. 
And so it's not the first thing most people think of with a honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They did. Yeah, I could I could get behind something like that, seeing if I could get them involved in in doing that. And you know, there, there might be some compromises in our future. Instead of doing a tent, maybe it's you know getting um, I don't know taking a camper, maybe even getting a lodge out and but being in in nature um, for a majority of the day. I think that's the point. It's just creating that connective tissue between the outdoors and the, the feeling that you get and the feeling of awe and seeing things that you don't get to see every day that we just take for granted. Not so much probably where we, where we're sleeping at night, but I think I could sell that. Could we have a, a third conversation where you share how that went? Sure. All right, cool. Yeah. I think that this was, when I re-listened to our last conversation, there was, I felt like the, the, it wasn't as connected as it could have been. And I wanted to, I suspected there was more to it. Okay. Yeah. It sounds good. Now, I think we cut, so the listeners heard us talking about stuff that we referred to before. I think we got a lot of it, but I don't think we got all of it. I think I'm thinking now of the listeners. I don't think that they missed. I'm sure there's some stuff we talked about before that we didn't. Yeah. I think the one thing that at least comes to my mind immediately was how I personally believe that we have a tendency in our society for people to be victims of a situation. And I have seen this in my own personal life. And that's why the subtitle of my book, Blind Ambition, is how to go from victim to visionary. It's because when I first went blind, I also felt like a victim. I was a victim of my blindness. And I felt for many months, sorry for myself. I felt like a loser because I I kept making excuses. So I finally just decided to start adopting a new philosophy, which is my own personal philosophy. And that philosophy is that excuses are for losers. And it stems from the fact that there's a, I have a realization, had this realization early in my life that, you know what, I wasn't responsible for my blindness. None of us are responsible for all of our circumstances in life, but we all have to be accountable for our life and its outcomes. So we've got to own our situations. For me, it's blindness. That's one aspect of it. There are other aspects of it, as we're talking about here, whether it's something that has happened to us, maybe it's uh, had to do with the pandemic or our uh, career situation, or, or maybe it's you know, conserving what we have and, and taking care, being good stewards for the planet. None of us are responsible for all of these circumstances, but at some point, we have to own our situations. We have to start owning our situations in our lives and move our mindset from being a victim to being a visionary and thinking differently about how we're going to show up and take ownership of our lives and ownership of our planet and ownership of our careers and stop waiting on somebody else to swoop in and save the day. Because as we have to just assume as it's our life, it's our planet, we have to be them. We have to be the leaders who step in and do that. And we have to be accountable for it. And at the end of the day, no one else is going to help us with our lives for us, right? Hope is not a plan. Hope is not a strategy. So we have to, we have to be able to shift and, and have a little more accountability, a lot more accountability in our lives and make sure that we're, we're doing everything that we can to, uh, to create that momentum and, and move towards those goals. I feel like a lot of what you say has been what over the years I've learned in some ways, a lot, in some ways, still a lot to learn. I mean, certainly as a kid, I was like, I want things handed to me. I don't want responsibility. I don't want uh, accountability. Now I I prefer responsibility. I prefer accountability. I feel like that's a part of maturation. 
I also feel like maybe I sound like an old person here, but America used to be more like that and is getting less like that all the time. Yeah, you sound like an old person. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I guess we both are. Because and, and look, here's the thing. Who really you say, even if you really think you want something handed to you, let me let me just hypothetically speaking, whatever your big goal is for the next five years, picture your big goal, and it's a big scary goal for you. Picture getting there with hard work and dedication. And then in contrast to that, picture getting there by someone just handing it to you where your effort was not needed. Which one are you going to feel better about? The one that was handed to you or the one that you worked blood, sweat, and tears for to get? And I can tell you from my personal experience after having gone blind, the the things that I've done in my life, I've had, you know, a, a a good life. I've been very fortunate. I've had to work a lot harder to get what I've what I've been able to get out of life because of the fact that I went blind. I really believe that I would not feel as fulfilled in my current situation had I been able to see for my entire life. I had to work a lot harder to get here. And so I'm convinced that if you have a life without any obstacles in it whatsoever, you don't have any opportunity for growth. Who wants an op- a life without growth? Who wants a life without adversity? Who wants a life that's just handed to them? I certainly don't. Now, it would be nice to get a break every now and then, right? We all want a break every now and then. But, you know, I'm, I'm blind. And even I know the tallest mountains have the best views, right? You have to climb the mountain to get to the top. And if someone just gives you a helicopter ride to the top of the mountain, are you really going to appreciate that view as much as if you had to climb that mountain and and struggle to get there so that you can enjoy part of the journey, but really savoring the view when you get there, because you know that you had to grow, evolve, and better yourself to get to what you wanted out of life. Yeah. When you started saying that, when you said, picture this, and I knew where you're going to go. And I thought, well, still play along anyway. And as soon as you said, hand it to you, I thought, oh, now I got to start from scratch. Like, okay, the yeah, maybe I've achieved the result that I wanted, or maybe the result that I wanted has been achieved, if not by me. Mm-hmm. But I haven't done anything. I'm like, yeah, the purpose of life is not to get results, not for like to have results just happen. It's to because then I would just pick, oh, my goal is to have the sunrise in the east tomorrow. Ah, oh, I did it. <laughs> but that's not particularly fulfilling, even though it's a, a stupendous feat, it's really beautiful. Sunrises are great, yeah, but. As soon as you said it, I was kind of caught off guard. It's like, oh, now I have to start all over again. Because what's the point? It, yeah. And I think that, I mean, I have a guest coming up, uh, Blake Haxton, who lost his legs and is about to compete in the Paralympics representing his nation. Mm-hmm. And he, he rode before, and now he rose. And his message and your message, people could use it so much. I don't know your, your inclination or aptitude or interest in, in making sustainability and stewardship a big part of your message, but it's exactly what people need to hear. Not everyone. I mean, some people need to hear different things, but there are certain people who just, it's like to say, I thought the world was going to be one way. Something happened outside of my control. Whatever it is, I can't change the past. I would have before thought that would be terrible. Mm-hmm. I can't change it. Actually, I can make life more awesome than before because of the greater experience. I'm not sure if, that's, if I've covered it that well. 
because I'm just talking about my world with recognizing that the world was not going to be nearly as clean or healthy as it, as it, I thought it was going to be when I was growing up. It was much more acute for you and for Blake and for Mark yeah. Zupin and Victor Frankl. Yeah, you're right. Our hands were forced uh, quite a bit by our circumstances, but it is fundamentally the same thing. It's taking ownership of our situation. Now, you know, in our personal lives, it's easier to measure. We talked about keeping score. It's easier to measure in your personal life than it is in this broader context. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take ownership and accountability. It's our only planet. It's the only one we've got right now. I know Elon's working on Plan B, but that's <laughs> that's that's not going to be here for a while. But but at the at the end of the day, you know, this is the one that we've got. And right now, what we're doing, it's not sustainable with the amount of people we have and, and are going to have and resources that we have and the way that we've been treating it, you know, obviously we're going to have to, you, you can't, uh, who was it? Was it Einstein? I think that's who it, it gets attributed to, but effectively it's, you can't do the same thing and expect different outcomes, right? At some point you have to, you have to change your behaviors. I'm really interested to hear how things go after you do camping, assuming it works out. Yeah. I, I might, I might do some video on that. Cause I, I got a feeling it's going to be really entertaining on a number of fronts, just the, <laughs> the, the whole pitch is going to be going to be good. If I can close that one, I think I'm on a roll. Like I'm picturing you showing like, can you tell which tent dad put up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dad's is the one that's flat. It's the one that you have to crawl <laughs> under. <laughs> well, I want to, I want to wrap up because it's about an hour now and let's pick, I propose picking up here next time with the added experience of the camping. Okay. Anything we didn't bring up this worth bringing up before wrapping up. No, I think we covered most of what we were saying um, that I was trying to think, is there anything that we were talking before we pressed or, uh, excuse me, record anything that we were talking about that we didn't bring up? I can't think of anything. Can you? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, you did bring up this last part about, I mean, I think we went in a little more depth, but we'll, I think we'll get to that next time also Okay. on the victimhood versus taking charge. Is that the right way to put it? Taking responsibility? Yeah, yeah exactly. And. Yeah, I think that one is, yeah, it's very important. I don't know. How to, I, I'm trying to think of it like a, a poetic, not poetic, but like deep way of saying that, but it's really important. And one is a journey that I'm partway on and I'm glad for the distance I've gone on it. Yeah, I think it, it's something we talk about in leadership classes a lot for, even for business. You know, we sit there and we talk about they, you know, they being the leaders, they are going to come in and they are going to, and then actually we are them. We are the leaders. It's us. Don't look around to anybody else. It's when you look in the mirror, it's you. When I look in the mirror, it's me. I might not be able to see myself in the mirror, but, but you get the point. We have to own it, right? If we don't own it, who will? Nobody. That's the eloquence I didn't have. Let's wrap up there. Sounds good. Chad Foster, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Josh. Thank you for the opportunity. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.